suck if like our first fans were haters oh uh, let's not talk like that anyway hello everyone <laughs> and welcome to pleasant evenings book club uh as always this is hannah and i am joined by roberto and corbin you guys want to say hi uh hello this is roberto hi this is corbin all right um, today we are doing a selection of short stories, uh, three total, from Junji Ito, uh, the famed uh, horror manga artist. Uh, we'll be doing uh, In Order here. Um, wait, which was the first one? Nigen Itsu. Human Chair. Gotcha. <laughs> so it's Human Chair first, and then uh, we'll also be getting into fashion model, and long dream. So, uh, yeah, without further ado, I will hand it off to uh, Corbin, I believe, who will be discussing Human Chair. Wait, 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 let's chat a little bit. Uh, what's your prior um, experience with Junji Ito? I know he's like a famous guy. I had read one of them. I'd read the, um, <laughs> yeah, the Enigma of Amagara Fault. That one I remember, it was like a creepypasta when I was uh, but I guess like you didn't like associate that with Junji Ito until like a while later. Yeah, I, I, it was like this disembodied, I guess, story on the internet. <laughs> you, you, well, you know, it was like a, it was like a copy pasta, you know, like mm. or, or a creepy pasta rather. Which yeah. I, I guess for anybody that doesn't know, it was like this genre of like weird copy pasted horror story that existed in like two thousand what like seven two thousand eight on the internet. You know, it was very popular. Um, I think there was even a website. Uh, you would that's where things like the the Lavender Town Syndrome story from Pokemon. Oh, classic! Yeah, we yeah. got to do a creepy pasta episode. Oh yeah, yeah, that would be a fun, sort of like a anthropological folktale kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. now and now it's like history. Kind of similar. I would, I would say that this is my first explicit experience with Junji Ito. Uh, any uh, was your you, did you have any like uh, encounters with his with his celebrity or his um, status in the manga world? It's hard to say. I mean, I've probably read some stuff influenced by him too. Mm -hmm. Probably Tokyo Ghoul would be the closest one. Oh, uh, that's got some Junji Ito. I would read anything if you tell me there's Junji Ito influence. The vibe was pretty similar too. Oh, like the Doom. Uh yeah, the doom and, and some of the the body um, mm. disfiguration and horror involved. I love a good body disfiguration. Oh, don't we? It's gory too. Devil Man Cry Baby is another example of that. Oh, that's that show's really good. That's another one where like um, the emotion of it snuck up on me. The reveal was just like the bad guy, like with the. Oh, I don't want to spoil it, but like at the end, where you like it's like the devil's like backstory, kind of. Lucifer was Lucifer was cool. All all the demons were just mm -hmm. crazy now. This world looking. <laughs> yeah, I haven't gone back to see any of the older Devilman OVAs. I haven't either. Is that on YouTube? I'm sure it is. Holy shit! Yeah, the 1987 OVA is on YouTube. Like the whole thing. I don't know. I I consider all those things to be Edo adjacent. <clears throat> yeah. 
Yeah, especially like there was a uh, an upsurge like in the seventies. Like Devilman is based on a late seventies, early eighties manga, and like Ito's like like that was like a big upsurge in like horror manga. Like I think Junji Ito like will like reference um, Hideshi Hino and whoever uh, wrote like the I'll call it the drifting classroom or the floating classroom. Uh, but now, but. Yeah, I would say that he's definitely the biggest name in in Japanese horror today. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for me. Okay. Yeah, for me, I guess I was a little bit more of a Ito head before. I remember as a kid, like preloading some of his comics on my phone and sneaking off to read it when my parents made me go to church, <laughs> and just feeling very cool. Because I was reading Uzumaki instead of <laughs> instead of scripture, but it would always like um, grab me about those stories. Was I know this is not not very intellectual, just like the way he drew them. Like he'll often like build to these like big panels, and I would always like going into any story be very impressed with with the way he's able to escalate an idea, and. The way he would just show me something I'd never seen before. Right. Yeah. There's no, there's no like shortage of like original ideas in these short stories. Like everything is something, I mean, as we're about to find out something that, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like a lot of like, uh, <laughs> you might say like, I guess like Western horror just follows this formula, you know, like the same kind of things every time. But this, these stories are all very weird, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> Like, the way people joke about Junji Ito is that if you, like, see any any video of him talking, he's, like, the most normal guy. He's, like, soft-spoken and normal. They say, like, um, they say MC Ride from Death Grips is, like, really quiet in person. <laughs> Sorry, it's uh, unrelated. Yeah, there's, there's, a, I remember, a, like, a Pitchfork interview with him where he was, like, a, like, a little kid, like, with an interview, was like, what you got there? Is it just a toy? <laughs> Right, it's yeah. <laughs> that kind of vibe. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, if you look at his at his books, he'll write sometimes like what gave him the idea, or just sort of like a little bit reflecting on the story that he wrote. I was, it's not for any of the stories we've read. I just remember one where he was like, "I was looking through a book about insects, and I saw how insects tend to breathe through their skin, or not their skin, like through holes in their carapace, and that got me thinking, what, <laughs> what if there were holes?" And then. Like he'll just extrapolate. He'll just like take any little <laughs> bit of data and extrapolate. What if, <laughs> what if that was some kind of monster? <laughs> what if that got you somehow? Sorry, there was another one where he was looking in in a mirror, and he thought his tongue looked like a slug, and that was an inspiration <laughs> for another one. There's these crazy observations of rather mundane yeah. things. You know when um in JoJo's when. What's his name? Kishibu Rohan? Uh, yeah, yeah. When he's introduced and he's like, what makes a good manga writer is like an interest in reality. And he's like, this spider, what does it taste like? And he puts a, like, he puts a spider in his mouth. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I recall that. Uh, <laughs> like, that's good advice, though. Like, take interest in the world around you, especially if you're someone who's supposed to draw, be drawing things. Right. And Junji Ito has that where, yeah, he's like looking at his tongue. He was just, 
He stuck out his tongue, and then he kept his tongue out and just started thinking. As one will. As one will. As one will. I guess we're good to proceed to summarize human chair. Yeah, let her out. Cool. So, I guess I should mention first and foremost that this is an adaptation from a short story from a short story writer. What was his name? Rampo? I'm remembering. I'm, I'm thinking right now. I know it. I'm just remembering right now. Edogawa Rampo. I just remembered. Which I believe is a accented um, writer name reference to Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, I can, I see it. That's fun. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of cool bits about this, this tale. So, Ito decided to adapt this into a manga. And I, I thought it was pretty entertaining. So it opens in present day where we're introduced to this lady who is apparently window shopping and stops into a furniture store. Now she goes in and talks to the proprietor of the store about getting a new chair to help rectify her uh, her back pain. And, you know, the chair store owner, you know, replies, oh, yes, chairs are very important. Um, they can even change the life of the owner. And then he presents her with such a chair. And he says, oh, this chair really changed the life of a previous owner. And he, he has a story about it. And that's when we're led into Taisho era Japan. And we are introduced to uh, the author Togawa Yoshiko. And she, she's a pretty big deal besides being a pretty famous writer. She's also the wife of a, uh, a government officer. I think of foreign affairs, if I recall correctly. Big shot. Yeah, yeah. She's such a big shot that she receives manuscripts, letters. Um, one of one of which is entitled um, "Human Chair." It details this ugly, deformed uh, carpenter who en- engineers shelters himself into the uh, chairs that he makes. And one such chair shares a history of being bought at a market by a government officer. And that's when she starts to make personal connections. And at this point, she is horrified. Um, sometime later, is revealed in another manuscript, oh, this was just a made-up story. Um Apparently, the writer of the manuscript was a aspiring writer like herself. I forgot all the layers of like, um, 
like storytelling that was in the in the story. Right. Yeah, right. I think it ended up being my favorite of the three. Made up manuscript that shares the title of what we're reading. Oh yeah, like the King in Yellow. That's honestly true. That that does give that thing like a special special power. Like it makes you think about the effect that reading has on you. So especially for horror. Right. The story doesn't end there. It gets weirder. We're in the middle of the night. She uh hears the chair moving around at night. So she wakes up her husband to check it out. He thinks it's a break-in, and they ultimately walk into the study where the chair is at. And she's convinced that there's a person inside the chair. So the husband beats the heck out of this chair, right? <laughs> um, kind of kind of funny. It was a point of comic relief, I thought. But uh, she she's struggling with writing at this point but receives a third and final manuscript saying, Oh, that really, really hurt me when he had, uh, when he had your government officer husband beat me. And I guess that's when she realized too little, too late that these, this carpenter was real. And these events were actually happening to her. And she later discovers that her husband was stabbed by the carpenter who has been living inside this chair. The police are called and believe her, and they open up the chair to see this. Uh, the artwork for this was pretty cool. It was this human indentation. looked cozy yeah. enough. I, it didn't look super livable, but... Um, <laughs> the details in the illustration, because when, when you write the story, you can just say that it happened, but when you draw it, you have to actually show it. And the details, like... You can see that I'm looking at it now. Like you can see, like the cans of food and the jug of water on the side. Yeah, it it, it, did, it did make me wonder how how did he move around in there though? <laughs> I don't guess they're spacious enough. I it makes me like make me make me think about like being that person in there, like the way it be so carefully moved because you can't like m- struggle too much or you'd be making a lot of noise. Ugh. Right. Spooky. Yeah, a quiet person is is sometimes, in certain contexts, like if they're inside your chair, a scary person. Oh my gosh, yeah. I guess, I guess what's spooky about it is that it's not, it's not even super natural in, in its horror. This is, this is what other people can do to each other. It's a little crazy, but it is plausible. Anyway, sorry, yeah, we're, um, yeah so they found like the indentation where the, where the guy was, right? And then... Right, and... Um, they they never caught him, and ultimately, this author, um, what was her name again? Uh, Togawa, ultimately disappear into history, and it's when this story ends and the present day continues. Our first character, our, our first writer in the present day, is asking, "Oh, is this the chair that the?" man was hiding in and the store owner says no no this is a different chair and he opens it up and we see the bodies of Togawa and the carpenter 
ultimately having found each other after the events of Human Chair and I, I guess falling in love if we were to take the story at face value. Mm-hmm. Um, and he reveals, oh, I'm a descendant <laughs> of these two. And I, I promise you, I will craft you a life-changing chair. And that's when our present-day writer really freaks out. Um, I think her name was Hayama. She really freaks out. I was like, no, no, no. No chair is okay. I'm, I'm going now. I'm leaving. Bye. Um, which leads us to her apartment. Her ultimately still having back pain, struggling writing. And there's a knock on her door. And it's delivery people dropping off a chair that she had apparently ordered. Awfully resembles the life-changing chair. When this one comes in, it's not as subtle. You see that... uh, Right. You see that... The the bulge on the back of the chair. Yeah, it's... it's, I think it's fairly obvious what's what's going on. Right. What are you going to do? Call the... What do you call the police and say somebody's in my chair? Like... Yes. (laughs) Yeah, in this case you go... Yeah, there's obviously someone in that chair. Look. Look at that <sighs> bulge. It's it's, <laughs> it's human indented. You know, they do a good job at making the chair look fleshy from the outside, too. The way that it's, like, shaped and that, you know? The way that, it, like, the, the, the upholstery is with this, like, um, bloated-looking, like, sections of leather, I guess. Yeah, I, I agree. I really like seeing the, the facial face indentation structures with, within the chair, yeah. There's a big S&M thing going on here, obviously. I don't know, like, how to interpret it, really, but there's obviously an S&M. Oh, yeah, just like the the bondage and all that. It's funny you said leather, because I... I... Did it say it was leather? I, I don't know what... Um, I guess I imagined it like more like um, velvety. But I guess it doesn't look like velvet. No, that looks like cracked leather. Yeah, it's the way it shines, you know? Or like uh, seems to shine. I guess I don't see it shining in any of these. I just envisioned it as like glossy and like fleshy, you know? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I was going through it. I pictured like velvety or like some kind of cloth and like cushions mm-hmm. but there is one close up where the details are the details make it look more leathery like I'm looking now the one where you see the face come out it does. you see these cracks that I guess you want oh, to see yeah. in fabric yeah yeah I, I, I see that image but I do like it being leather too from like if you think about it too like I not getting on my vegetarian bullshit, but you know, like leather is skin. I think that's why I, I prefer it be leather. I like the interpretation. They're just like too much continuity to give up. Yeah, yeah, it serves like a couple a couple different. You know, I, I mean, I think it like furthers the S and M aspect, but I think it also furthers like the flesh and 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 bone aspect. You know, sort of fleshy quality to the chair because of its leather leather composure so there, there's like i think two things going on there but kind of connected i know we talked about it before i'm not sure if i kept it in the episode when we were talking about that um 
about that uh, Throbbing Gristle song, Persuasion, on 20 Jazz Funk Greats. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is something um, inherently creepy about intimacy, especially if it's unwanted, and, like, the way it might, like, try to creep into crossing past the wanted, unwanted barrier without your knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And... Like, when you think about, like, how a chair, like, you do have a relationship with a chair if there's one you really like. Like, you sink into it, you have so much contact with it. It's the perfect thing for for solitude and comfort. Right. And, like, the like remembering, now that I'm thinking it's leather, like, even outside of, like, if there was a person, like, the idea of, like, skin, like, enveloping you for right. this, it, there's a grotesquerie about it. You know, I I think we're like obviously supposed to identify with the woman, you know, in this who has to deal with this person in her chair or whatever, or might have to or what have you. But I think we're also supposed to like think a little bit about what it would be like to be in the chair ourselves and feel that claustrophobia, which yeah. is why I think he bothers to draw it. You know, um, mm-hmm. I it's interesting. Like, I, not to like get too off topic, but it's interesting how they show the little like uh, cans of beans and stuff you know, in there mm-hmm. as well. But, um, but so there's like that horror too of like, well, what's it, what would it be like to be in this chair? You know? And then also what would it be like to be some kind of freak who wants to be in the chair? You know, that's also, so I think there's like, you know, there's like a couple different levels of like, um, you know, horrifying experiences to empathize with, I think in this story. I'm not sure. I don't remember how much of it is in the, um, in the comic, but it like, if you read the, the, the original story, which follows the beats like pretty similarly. I can't like off the top of my head think of any real differences. Um, but like in the story, like you, there's like this detail that like really like stuck with me, which is because like um part of the the bit with the stories that the chair with the guy in it is actually very comfortable. Like she's a writer and the chair helps her write better, and she just feels very at home in it. Oof. In great. the story, there's this detail where he talks about how he like kind of shifts his legs and stuff to give her the, like, to react to her, um... Right. Like, the way she shifts her weight. Which is all these other, I think, BDSM connotations too, probably. <laughs> like, there's, like, a, yeah, there's, like, a lot of that going on in the story, I think, now that we... <laughs> now that we talk about that. Yeah, but, like, BDSM, I, don't, I guess I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar. I don't usually think of that much closeness. Usually I think of BDSM as, like, this, like, psychic relationship well yeah so i think that like i i I think that the um the person in this chair is like in this way like um sort of like this unwanted submissive right yeah (laughs) like adapting their body in like every possible way to like you know accommodate this other person without their consent it's really you know i mean it's kind of what we're just talking about Mm -hmm. it's really fucked up which is why i think the the claustrophobia (laughs) of the chair and like the, the the being stuck in it is also important I, you know what I mean? Like, it, to me, it's just like, oh, yeah, this seems kinky. Like, just for some... Without without it having to be, like... Oh, yeah. No, for sure this guy's a perfect. Yeah, yeah. Without having anything having to be said directly. Like, it's it's kinky as hell. But, you know, mm-hmm. like, it, why would a person want to be in the chairs? I, I guess what... You know, what, when you talk about, like, the way that this person adapts themselves to be the perfect chair, it's like... I think that's the... <laughs> The implication, you know, is this like um, 
sort of like uh, non-consensual, like a submission or or, or bondage uh, within the chair. Yeah, that's true. It is definitely like um, in terms of a service, and like I didn't ask for this this type of servitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I this person is serving her in a way that's very passive and very you know at least from yeah I mean she doesn't even know he exists you know or at least mm-hmm. not ideally. Well, yeah, I guess like the scary thing, um, the scary part, everything's the scary thing about. <laughs> um, he writes her those letters to let her know little by little, and eventually he wins her over. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's, which is that's the craziest part for me is that yeah. she apparently falls for him, decides to join him in a chair. Yeah, that's where I. Uh, that's where it all. That's where it all confuses me too. I guess. I guess the lesson is maybe just supposed to be hate to each their own. <laughs> whatever, whatever gets you off. Uh, although actually, there that is a big difference in the original story. Like that ending isn't there. Oh, huh. Like in the original story, it ends with just like her receiving the the confessions. Um. But you know, in the in the Jujinito tradition of like, what's the next escalation? It'd be like, how much closer could they get? Yeah, yeah. It makes me wonder though, like if they're both a chair, then who's sitting on the chair? Yeah, and what what is that? What do they gain? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Couple looking for third. <laughs> yeah, you come. You ask it to a Craigslist. You come like you. They say, oh, there'll be key under the rug. Just come over, uh, and they just see a chair. There's a note card. It just says, "Have a seat." <laughs> <laughs> Have a seat. <laughs> Sit down to wait, and and you wait for two hours, and you get the feeling that you've been had, and you leave. But in actuality, everything <laughs> everything happened. You leave, and like the seat's a little wet or something. Right, right, right. You get a little frustrated <laughs> that you've been stood up, and that's that's essentially the. <laughs> that's the... <laughs> yeah, there's clearly like at that point, it's just a world between them. Like, I no one's uh, intruding on their special world in this. Right. I think uh, a good touch. I'm looking at the at the comic right now. Is that the beans get replaced by like a pretty nice like pottery set? What? Like if you look at the final panels, like it's not beans on the side of the chair. Like it's like a. Oh yeah. Like it's. <laughs> they had a feminine touch. Some decorations. Know. Yeah, that's. <laughs> you get a woman to move into your chair, and suddenly you know just things are just a little nicer. Right. Right. Yeah. Got a hairbrush in the chair now. Like there is a grotesquerie there. Like I want to think of it like as a happy ending, if if not for just the sheer invasiveness of how the man came into her life. Yeah, I think it's a really weird love story. Probably, maybe not the maybe not the final ending. Maybe not the you know, maybe not the chair showing up at this new lady's doorstep. That's the classic, and th- that ending is the classic like um chainmail kind of ending where like now it's your turn like. And this could happen to you. There's always people sending each other these chairs. Right. With the implication that even if you don't want it, even if you suspect there's someone in there, eventually you might end up succumbing to the to the allure of chairdom. Yeah, the temptation of the chairman. Yeah. <laughs> so I've thought about this story before. Um, I don't know if I brought it up on pod or just in conversation. When I think about how your your phone and your apps strip away your privacy for the sake of convenience uh-huh and you know it's like like little things like um 
like remembering your passwords for you like don't worry about your passwords i got them and to like like one time um like one time i was um i was gonna put like gps directions to my house and before i even hit anything it just said home and i'd never set that address as home it just it knows where i am all the time it said oh there's your house right here you go this is here's this for you right and my my first thought was like why do you know this my second thought was how convenient let me just click on this and go home right right this ending um maybe more gratuitous than the original like speaks to to a definitely a, like a more relevant modern horror that we will accept this this comfort and convenience yeah yeah like it is possible for things to intimate themselves into your life like this oh yeah i mean i think i see it now with like the um you know like the location recognition on your phone in the first place and like the face recognition like all that stuff which i I, I still (laughs) i still don't have the face recognition on but i I see it as like a you know in some ways unavoidable eventually Mm -hmm. i feel like we've hit the human chair yeah uh corby you picked this one out like um it's like we each like actually like we each picked one of the stories uh to to get this junji ito special episode out um like why'd you pick uh what drew you to the story so what drew me to this specific story was that there's a japanese rock band of the same same name called Megan Itsu. So seeing that there was this story, this adaptation of it, I decided to pick it up and see where it would take us. Yeah, maybe they human charity you a little bit. Yeah, I I mean well <laughs> so I figured yeah, you know if they're making a reference to the story, <laughs> the manga has to be Decent, like how right? cats have that parasite that makes you like them. The toxoplasmosis? Yep. I'll believe it. There's no need, though. It's overkill. Right, I already like I'm them. I'm allergic to them, and I still love yeah. them. I say it with my brain, like, full to the brim with toxoplasmosis. <laughs> I've always loved the cat. Yeah, I've always loved cats. <laughs> right, yeah. Totally normal thing for a human to say. There's a... There's a Junji Ito book, actually. He just, like, wrote a bunch of stories inspired by his cat. Oh, nice. I've been waiting to get that, because I'm guessing that one's cute. Right. Even, like, a tiger, part of me is like, I'd rather get eaten by a tiger than by wolves. Why? Just because it's cute. <laughs> <laughs> any Any other human chair stuff, or...? So I guess maybe just this one closing question, you know, um, I guess I had concerns as it was originally, originally a short story didn't start out as, as a manga. Did you all feel that in comparison, the artwork was weaker as a result of that or? No, it was actually my favorite of the three. I just found the story really interesting. Yeah. I think like the, the, on the strength of the story, it's like it's so strong and so disturbing that you know it's it's all good like he does get to flex and honestly my least favorite 
parts might be where like the head is kind of popping out or that bulge at the end. Um, when he tries to like force more of the um, like I gotta draw something to really wow them. It does like that's like where it lands these like most flat to me. But as far as just like the telling of the story through paneling character expressions and like like the way they draw like these empty corridors or the texture of the chair like I, he still gets to like really express his art. If if anything, the art could have been toned down a little bit. I don't know. How do you feel about that bulge at the at the, in the last panel or when the face comes out? Like those were really like my main things against it i didn't really mind that i don't know i thought it i thought it just sort of made the concept more tangible you know it's got to read the you know without some of that there's like this whole like well there's a guy in the chair but where's the scary come (laughs) from you know like he he could just you know i mean yeah it is an efficient way to get it like within a panel Right, I guess. I guess my thing is there could be like a guy in my closet at any given day, like at, you know, at any given time. <laughs> but as the drawings would look the same no matter. What. Yeah, but if every so often he doesn't creep out of that closet, then there's not really like any artistic tension, you know. That's true. Like at least in terms of just communicating the idea, like clarity is much more valuable than, um, you know, whatever like, uh, believability or restraint right right yeah i yeah because it's just um well that's why i was also curious like because the story you get to just hear it from the guy's perspective so he just talks about weight and breath and like this stuff but like what can you see is is a whole other thing yeah yeah i i, I think you just need some of that for this story just inherently yeah so i guess it was the um adapting it for the medium like it might have just been like the the only path through right um i do like the shot where like the, where like the arm like it's like a three-quarter shot of just the chair and like the armrest of the chair like you can see how it's conceivably like the hand like the arms like a person arm and you can see a face shape there like i do yeah like, it does kind of hit there like pretty it's arguably better Ooh, yeah I do, I do like the imagery, though. Still. Mm-hmm. Cr- he is still, like, a master class, like, top of the game. He got respect, respect, restraint as well. Yeah, he might have actually... Like, he did throw the needle. Like, it's a story that works. Like, if you read the story, it does get under your skin. It does get into your chair. All right. But yeah, that was a good point to touch on the art. Yeah, you want to move on to fashion model? Yeah. Naturally. Okay. So, <clears throat> fashion model follows the uh, the story of uh, a young gentleman. I think his name is uh, Iwasaki. He um, wakes up one morning feeling rather unlucky. Um, and, uh, you know, goes about his day. Uh, at one point, he hits his head pretty hard. It's always very funny. Um, so he finds himself, I, I believe, in a coffee shop looking through fashion magazines. 
Um, and in that magazine, you know, one of the ones there, he, he finds this model who's, she's like a, you know, she's very uh, jarring to look at. Um, I, it's hard to like describe her without being potentially mean to someone. I don't know. (laughs) You know, like <laughs> is a problem like describing any woman is <laughs> yeah yeah because she has features like she has a collection of features that a woman could hypothetically have and that's what's so like you know so 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 tricky about it but um mm-hmm. so he's he's pretty taken aback by this this woman though like I can't believe she's a model etc etc um so he goes about his his day from here and he can't get this lady out of his mind you know like she bonds his dreams you know and so on we find out a little bit more about him and it turns out he works on like i I don't know he's like maybe a film student or something i think but him and his friends do like uh you know like movies or whatever they make they make films you know so they're looking i think for a you know for some women to star in whatever film they're working on i think they need two of them and um you know at this point this this you know, this ugly model, I guess, has essentially left his mind entirely for the most part. You know, it's taken a minute, but it's it's faded, you it know. It take a while, yeah. yeah. It really like stuck. But then, you know yeah, that was inter- that was interesting about the structure, but yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh yeah. But then out of nowhere, um, you know, he uh you know, she she's turns out she's auditioned, you know, and they pull her picture out of a stack, you know. So he has a little uh, freak out about it, but they decide, I guess, for whatever reason, to like ultimately go with her, you know, like to ultimately use her as the um, use her as a, you know, the actress or whatever. So they they go on what amounts to like a, a classic like horror story road trip to the woods to film, you know, like art student bullshit. And um you know, while they're on the way there, there's um, some, you know, I, I, I guess like girl, girl gossiping occurring in the car that makes this this model laugh. You know, her and the other the other woman, um, and it's she, she laughs and it's revealed that she has like these razor sharp teeth. You know, so, um, but at this point, you know, it's been plausible that she might be just like a regular woman who's very ugly, but you know, the razor sharp teeth seem to, you know. Uh-huh. Right. Um like the way they're drawn too. Yeah, yeah. And and so the way that um yeah, so so they all arrive out in the woods or what have you, and they're all doing like, you know, like pretentious art art artsy shit, you know, like they're sitting in chairs. They're, and they're just looking at scripts. <laughs> you know, artsy shit, like sitting in chairs. No, they're gesturing at, at trees. You know what I mean? They're arranging cameras. You know, I... Anyway. Mm. So, uh, it, it becomes pretty clear that the uh, that the taller model has, has been kind of like... Has been kind of like eyeing our main character here. Uh, and he's uh, a little nerved by that. So, he, he goes for a walk. Um, at which point she follows him and he kind of, um, I don't know, like rejects her by running away, right? <laughs> which she she doesn't do much for herself because she then chases him. And the way she like, like her body's like leaned forward like, like a raptor in Jurassic Park. Yeah, yeah. She <laughs> seems to just glide. Like The implication seems to be that she glides across the ground like some sort of, you know, like, like a... a 
It's like the Naruto run. <laughs> it's faster like that. But she's holding up her dress. If Naruto had worn a dress, he would have done it this way too. Um, <laughs> That's true. Anyway, uh, so he gets back to the you know it's the camp and and he's like, "Yo, we got to get out of here. This lady's insane." Um, um, but they, they decide, you know, whatever. I, I I guess I guess not. Um, but you know, at this point, everything's awkward. Like this this chick is pissed. You know, probably a monster. You know, they they keep doing their filming or whatever. Um, the, the the prettier girl is also getting praised a lot um, by the, the 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 cameraman and the director or what have you. You know, the 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 ugly one is like, hey, you, are you going to film me at all? And they're like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get around to it. Uh, so some time passes, and they find out that like uh, the two girls have wandered off, and um, seems like the the. The, the um you know the the ugly one has ripped the 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 littler one to shreds you know the the bigger one has destroyed the littler one uh and eaten eaten them a bit uh you know in fact like the bigger one. yeah the bigger one has eaten the littler one yeah <laughs> so like the main difference between them is just <laughs> it's just the bigger. size yeah it's just the size yeah, no, the, I, 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 I'm trying to avoid saying the uglier one because it just seems crass. But I just, I, I don't know, like the, uh-huh. the monstrous one, the, the horrifying, <laughs> the, the, the fashion model. The, the fashion anyway, model one. right, yeah, right. So they, um, <laughs> they, they go into the woods and they, 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 they find like you know just all this horrific shit, and then she's out there looking like. You know, I suddenly you're like, there's no way this this lady was ever passable for like a regular woman because she's looking insane. You know, she's looking insane. Or yeah, human maybe even. Yeah, yeah, she looks like a you know like a reptilian essentially. She's looking <laughs> bad. So she pr- pretty much kills everyone except the main character, and she's like, finally, we're all alone. You know, it's just the two of us at last. <laughs> now we can i don't know what's her yeah have pring mantis sex that ends in your death is what i'm assuming <laughs> uh, and that's that's where it ends that's where it ends pring mantis seems like the 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 per, like the intersection between like i don't know sex and sex and violence that... yeah because she's totally gonna she's totally gonna eat him but she's totally gonna fuck him too you know what i mean both things are about to happen so <laughs> Right, the special, the special attention she was giving him. One thing I maybe did a bad job. It's sort of implied that in some way this has all been psychically willed to happen by her in some weird way, oh, as though from like the. I was going to touch on that. Yeah, yeah, as though from like the very beginning, the, you know, the fact that he finds the that her picture and it haunts him for like weeks, you know, and then she just so happens to like get that role. It all feels like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it all feels sort of like supernaturally predetermined, but. Yeah, there is something weird about, like, the way that the King in Yellow um, book just shows up randomly sometimes in those stories. Right, right, as though it's there oh, just to make things like... worse, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I definitely was, like, thought of that, like, if you just read it through, it's like, oh, there's a scary woman, and then, you know, she gets them. But like when he, like, when that story, like it sits with you, like it that setup t- is strange. Cause then he goes, cause he finds her in the magazine, 
then he goes back and the store's like, we don't have that magazine anymore. <laughs> and he can't find so then he forgets like there's nothing weird in the series about it. And then she shows up and even though she's a pro, she's at this student film Yeah, uh, yeah. Like casting. And right. she takes special interest in him who was the one who like like got spooked by her picture before. Right. In fact, a lot of the it, other guys, other than being like, oh, ha ha, she's kind of ugly, don't seem to find her appearance <laughs> that rattling, it should be noted. Like, nobody really seems as phased as the narrator by her appearance, you know, beyond just being like, oh, ha ha, mm-hmm. she kind of looks ugly, doesn't she? You know? So that's interesting, yeah. too. Well, there's like a lot of framing in the first half of it to just like make you believe that she's normal and just kind of ugly, you know? Yeah, then it goes into, like, I was a little bit disappointed by, like, how much of a traditional monster she was. But either way, all of that setup does just make you think about about things in a different way anyways, in this, like, broader, more cosmic way. Right. Yeah, but I did appreciate, like, part of the tension was, like, kind of like this politeness game of, like, how ugly am I allowed to admit that she is, or am I allowed to acknowledge her? Like how much of this is am I bringing to this? Right, right. I don't know if this is immediately. I don't know if this is best brought up later. But um, Junji Ito talking about this story, he's he did say that like he did say something like that. Like looking back, he wished he had drawn her less ugly. Like she is like just ugly enough in the story. I think where you like know you know. Like it's very uh-huh. close though. Wherever that line is, he got he got quite quite close to it, you know. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't a terrible miss. Right. And it's interesting that her like motivations, like whatever she like communicates, isn't just like monster, I wanna eat you. Like she's mad that she's not getting any scenes. Like she wants she's like hungry for for attention or something. Like, she's someone who, like, demands to be to be looked at and acknowledged. Yeah, like, her motives seem pretty typical for, like, an actress, uh, you know, in that in that age range, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, I, I don't know, she wants, there's a guy she wants, and then she wants to be on camera as much as possible. I, you know what, mm-hmm. I, I don't know, like, she, personality-wise, I, she, like, laughs at gossip with the other girl in the car, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she seems like normal <laughs> like she might have an apartment to go home to after all yeah this. that's what i mean like that's why the pictures of them like you're this like i guess the panels of them just doing like sort of hipster camera people shit out in nature are like i think really important is because they sort of like show her just sitting mm-hmm. there you know like she's in the chair yeah like, you know like maybe she's got a drink you know like it's just just normal people shit you know and her annoyance of like, when are you gonna do my my scenes? Like, makes sense. She went all the way out there. Like, that's a day for her. And the the guys are being kind of rude and like frat boyish. Like, like there's a part of me like that. Like, I definitely like kind of felt for her at times because of how like teasing they were. Right. Yeah, and I think it like um, you know he he's the only one who treats her as like freakishly ugly. You know, the rest of them just sort of don't even see her as real. You know, they're just like, oh, that's just a <laughs> that's just the ugly a woman. Yeah, it's just the ugly one. <laughs> but 
but they like tease her like, oh, you like her, right? Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they do do that. Until she like goes like mask off, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but before the whole mask off, um, brutal eating and murdering, it seemed as it was almost a critique or a navigation of whatever societal beauty standards mm, exist within Japan. Yeah. I don't know that it isn't. Yeah, that like this. I don't. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I don't know that the ending disqualifies it from continuing to be that. Like who knows? Maybe it's like a bit of come up and it's like if they were nicer, she wouldn't have gone that way. Oh uh, yeah, I get the sense that she wouldn't have honestly. I mean, she got enough attention or, or kindness from the magazine publishers, assumably. Right. I was, yeah, that's true. There was a photographer there. I was going to say, I guess it just depends on like whether or not we're to believe that like she did, you know, she wanted to be seen by the the main character in order to like enter mm-hmm. his life and eat him or whatever, or whether or not she was just like a normal person, relatively, who, uh, you know, has aspirations of being a model, but also like totally eats anyone who wrongs her. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think that that definitely contributes to the horror and to just the story is the ambiguity. Like, I think like any good horror story is like has that aspect of like, like, where did the main character fuck up? Right. Like when it has that aspect of like, oh, if it had gone this way, maybe like. I know it's not strictly horror, but, um, like, the the trial, for example, you're not even sure, like, what um, Joseph Ka did wrong, but he did something wrong. And, like, as he goes, like, he does a bunch, he does, like, make choices that presumably, maybe, possibly, are the thing that, like, seal his fate. I thought you were talking about the Tim mm-hmm. Heidecker, the trial, and I was like, oh, what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> Uh, that's the <laughs> I don't know how to supplanted it as being the uh definitive trial. Right, yeah. No uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure our thousands of listeners were thinking, oh the OJ trial, right? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Frankenstein is also immediately comparable. Like if Dr. Frankenstein had been different? Yes. And I immediately judged his creation based on mm-hmm. looks alone. Yeah, that's funny. Um, Junji Ito actually has done a Frankenstein adaptation. It's going to be part of the Frankenstein month. There you go. Yeah, that could be part of Frankenstein month. Yeah. I should make a note of that. Drop a pin in that, as it were. Frankenstein month. You're hearing it here first, listeners. Frankenstein month. Yeah. That'll be fun. We'll be mailing out samples of frankincense to all of our loyal <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, if you get in early. Right. While supplies last. Yeah, I'm very curious. Our last our last podcasts have gotten like six to eight listeners each. I love you guys. I wonder if it's the same people. If it is, I love you guys. I yeah. Absolutely. Like, uh, and I'd love to know more about you. Like, <laughs> I know, I know what it feels like when you finally sit down after a long day in your chair. Like, I know that, but what are you thinking? 
I, how, how is your evening? Is it pleasant? How? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I got this out, but like, this is going out to this is going out to our loyal listeners, if there are any who are loyal, um, or if there are any listeners for that matter. Like, we got an email address. Um, doing my best to link it in the description. Eveningspleasant at gmail Reach out if you are a fan of Junji Ito. I, I'm so curious to hear anyone's opinions about Junji Ito. Nice. Um. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you think I should say it? Yeah. But yeah, our opinions on Junji Ito, like comparing this to um, Human Chair so far, like this is definitely like the main thing I think is like this is it being an original story also because of the context. This is a story where he is able to let loose. I know he said that he regretted making her as ugly as he made her, like he wished he would have made her um, prettier. Um, but that speaks even more. Like this is a story where he really gets to let loose and like show off his his style. As far as like his strengths of being able to come up with a grotesque image, like this is a great design for for uh monster sounds wrong, right? <laughs> this ambiguity about rudeness, like it's this is a very difficult story because we're talking. This is the ideal ugly woman. The ideal ugly woman. Like, she's, like, a woman. Like, especially, I'm looking at her, like, fashion photos where she's got her hair done tight and she's not showing off her sharp teeth. Like, you can see that in, like, in a hot couture, maybe. Right. Like, they're always going for, like, um, like, otherworldly kind of looks. Like, you want a, a unique face will get you farther, maybe, than a conventionally attractive one. Oh, yeah. Well, I feel like the way androgyny is and, like, a lot of, like, modeling, like, mm-hmm. she's got some, like, sort of masculine features in terms of her, like, height and the shape of her face, which is not, like, out of the ballpark for what they do when they select models. You know what I mean? So... I'm getting, like, this is, like, very dangerous. Like, I don't want to get into, like, go into, like... <laughs> Um, Do you think she passes? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you did. You did say passes before, like as a like passes as a. I think there's a probably some trans shit we could get into here. I don't know if we should, but <laughs> I don't know if I was prepared to. <laughs> oh. As a trans, and you know, I'm probably just expected to have more to say. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, I didn't want to. Um... Like, this is definitely a story that puts a lot of emphasis on, like, how women look, which is something that trans women, like, do have, right, famously. Yeah, it's a big, it's a big problem. I'm going to phrase it differently. I'm going to phrase it like, um, and we, you can decide, like, um, how much you want to get into it, of course, like, no pressure. Um, what drew you to this, to this story? I guess, like, as a trans woman, for me, this captures, like, the most um, caricatured and 
darkly surreal aspect of the otherness associated with being trans like and not being cisgender like this feeling that you're always not quite you know when do they film your lines <laughs> so on on that like um maybe it was a good call to make it to make her so obviously monstrous because like it gets less into the space of like micro focusing on these details yeah i guess if she looked prettier it would be i don't know then there'd probably have to be more commentary on the trans thing (laughs) you know this is getting way in the weeds i I, I think we've I think we've kind of covered I think we've kind of covered fashion model. It sucks to be trans. It sucks yeah. to be ugly. It, it it sucks to be a I don't know a a, a, a film hipster. I, I don't I don't know. It sucks. What's a, no? The story was good. What's uh anybody anybody got anything else on this before we move on? I, I do I do wish he gave us a little bit more story. It was like kind of just um like some imagery and then waiting for the shoe to drop. Oh yeah. But with imagery like this, it's not like there's nothing to talk about. You know what I mean? Like the theme is in and of itself like kind of a whole discussion. So I I don't know that it needs too much more plot. Like you know, because mm-hmm. it, it risks just beating its uh, theme to death. I think. That's true. Like if it if it like um put anything into words, it would be a little um right on the nose. Like it would get old or something. Yeah. Yeah. I guess yeah. what I mean is um one more ending panel of the main character getting eaten or little little, little more. Oh there, yeah. Uh, just something to whet the appetite or like make you imagine kind of more like what her actual plans are like now that she has him alone are. Yes. Dude, I knew it was eating fuck. <laughs> Some order. Show me. Like, Junji Ito is good at coming up with, like, crazy concepts. Like, not just, like, crazy imagery, but um, ideas. There's one about, like, a bird woman. Like, this guy's, like, a hiker, and, like, he breaks his, like, leg hiking. And it takes, like, I don't know, like, a long time for them to find him. I might be remembering it wrong, but whatever, like, I'm just getting the gist across. Um, and like this bird with like a woman's face kind of like shows up. She kind of made him trip too because like she distracted him. Um, but then she shows up later like, and like feeds him like how a bird would feed him. Um, you know, like, you know, mouth to mouth. Years later, like that, that bird woman comes again and I'm, I'm butchering the story, but the, the gist of it is that that woman comes back and it turns out that what he was eating was like himself. So this bird woman would in the future eat him and then feed that meat to himself later. Like this high concept time travel thing is like by itself, that idea like grabs you. Right. Like Junji Ito, like he could have come up with like some kind of, um, situation i know like not this 
but um you know like now you'll take pictures of me for a hundred years like that she could have he could have taken it in any like kind of angle that's true is that how you mean like like kind of like what's the um end game like an idea of like what suffering he's in for i want to i want to be shown it you know like if there's some eating and fucking yeah show me i want i want to see that artwork <laughs> or you know or even if it was her being the main protagonist now like <laughs> show me him with the camera i there is a possibility that she is simply going like okay now that's out of the way now we can do what i wanted like there's a possibility she just has a simpler idea of like how these shoots go i think we had like any any last words on it i think we've got everything everything i had all right long dream so i think the story starts with like a similar kind of like nested um storytelling structure that a human chair uh, indulged in with the woman who who's like at a hospital like she's just simply paranoid in the sense that she just feels like she's about to die all the time which like the her mortality is just really getting to her and she sees like this like shadowy figure like show up at her door and scare her she thinks it's death um the doctors like try to talk to her and um like talk her down and later when the talk the doctors are talking alone one of them wonders i wonder if he's out and about now and he's like what are you talking about and he's like well long ago i had this patient come come by who's who was having trouble with these dreams that were um that were just weirdly long they would have he would have dreams that were like lasted two or three days and like each night is like several days just messing with his productivity but then like as things progress take longer and longer and you get a and part of what's cool about the story is just the the detail of like how one would react it talks about like the different dreams that he has and also just the way that it gets in the way of like his ability to function um like i think the description like um like whatever happened the day before feels like it was a year ago because he had a year-long dream like you know in the space of a night there's like so he just like gets like disconnected kind of from reality there's a great sequence where he's describing the different dreams that he has about like 10 years being um like studying for a test <laughs> like classic kind of dream stuff or i don't know being in a war or something and things like get really out there for this man who's having those, lo- those long dreams to the point that they're like like taking 10 years hundreds of years like it just like keeps accelerating they think that it's gonna like it's gonna get to the point where he has a dream that lasts an eternity which you know it's like dividing by zero but like that's kind of where it's building to the other thing that ha- that as these thing as these dreams get longer and longer it seems to affect the man's physiology he becomes like this kind of otherworldly guy like i don't know like um he becomes like a living embodiment of the picture of dorian gray but like stranger like he doesn't just look like a zombie he looks like a zombie with like a big head so like what that woman might have seen was maybe this 
um, dream monster. Uh, it builds up to a climax where he had a dream like, because he saw this woman who was afraid of dying. He had a dream that he was married to her for a hundred years, and he and he confuses reality. And this is one of those dreams that I guess are very close to, to everyday life. He confuses those things, and he goes over to her in real life, and is like, "Oh, my wife," and she's terrified of this hideous man. This is the story. Is, yeah, it's cool that we picked this one for last. It's got a bit of the. It's got the nested story structure of, um of human chair and it's also got the the tension the, the of what if someone is ugly that fashion model has true but that's like one thing that happened so like these are like two parallel things like this woman's scared of death now she's really scared because she thinks this she thinks basically the grim reaper is coming after her um as his dreams get longer and his transformations get crazier it like he ends up looking like like an alien before finally having maybe at the point of having his eternity dream he doesn't wake up so much as just turn to dust the scientist the doctor like grabs some of the dust at, and he sees like some strange um structures in the particles like it's not just skin cells but like some kind of crystals are forming and we get a reveal that then the doctor decided to treat the to treat the woman by putting those crystals into her IV. Her feelings of like fear of death are subsiding, be I guess because she's having these long dreams. Um, and his thinking is that, you know, if your dreams can last up to the point of eternity, it's like a, a simulation of immortality. The doctor he's explaining this to, his fellow doctor's like, what the fuck? Don't, that's messed up. And it ends with a panel of similar transformations happening to the young woman who was afraid of death. We expect like the thing, same thing's gonna happen to her. Yeah, I think that covers Long Dream. I think it was a really cool story. Uh, like especially when I got to read it, like I love the little peeks into the dreams that that guy has. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I thought this one had sort of maybe the most complete. I think story structure of the three that we read, you know, in terms of like, you know, like having an ending, having like a, you know, like a full, um, you know, like an idea being like fully expressed from beginning to end just mm -hmm. because it has, you, you know, I mean, it has like an ending, right. It has like yeah. a, uh, you know, like with a twist, you know, like the story gets sort of, you know, there's like a sense of closure in it. Like it, it wraps itself up with a bow in so many words. But yeah, that's a, that's a, that's how that's I think a, a really great way to put like a, the main difference, like from a reader's perspective. Like Human Chair does have like this ending. Like, what's the ultimate like conclusion? That's as far as you can take as you know, this a Human Chair person is the the person who's sitting like right. joining the chair, but you don't get that in between bit. And, like, fashion model, like, you don't, you know, it cuts off right before you see, like, what her intentions are. But this, you see the the way it builds as well as, you know, you take it all the way from day-long right. dream to eternity-long dream. Yeah, yeah, and you even get to see sort of, you know, what might be behind that, you know, whatever this structure is that's present, like, um, whatever the substance is that he finds. 
Because it sort of like loops back around to the first character that we're introduced to, which is this woman who fears death, and then it solves her problem. The whole thing feels very, you know, concise and self-contained. You know, it doesn't need any more space than what it takes yeah, up. So that's true. Yeah, it like it justifies like the pre- like this structure, right, right, of having this other woman, right, exactly. Like human chair is a little weird with the with the chair coming back to the to the woman who's shopping for chairs. Right. It seems a little um, like, far-fetched and surreal that, that then she would be the one to encounter this chair on top of that. Y- you know, like, it's all... It all works out very well. Like you know? If that makes sense. Like, it's all... Uh, it's a shock that's, like, like, in the moment, but then you look back and, like, you just, like, wonder, well, how did he get her address? Yeah, right. Or... How did he know that she was a writer when she showed up to his shop. Like he was like waiting for a writer to come along just to like launch into this diatribe about <laughs> living in chairs. Like, I assume she has a degree mm-hmm. of pain. Is a writer. Yeah, well, yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's to be implied. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only explanation if, if she was like on her second. Or I mean, if JK Rowling walked into my chair store, I'd definitely want to freak her out. <laughs> yeah. If, if you had a chair store, you, come up with some kind of fucked up chair just on the occasion that perhaps J.K. Rowling might show up. Yeah, all the best writers are using it. It's called a bear trap chair. It's essentially just a large bear trap and you sit in it. <laughs> oh my god, J.K. Rowling. I, I was never, I guess I'm, I dodged a bullet by like not really getting into Harry Potter so I didn't really get to feel the um, betrayal right right. that maybe some people felt it was overrated yeah it's crazy how it happened too because it's like she went from like um dumbledore's very good to like (laughs) trans people are evil in like a week and a half you know what i mean like the the speed of it is what's great like uh this was crazy she wanted to the whole time like you i get you know what uh dave Chappelle did feel kind of a betrayal oh yeah yeah well, with him, it's, like, hypocritical. I mean, like, I'll, I'll believe J.K. Rowling is stupid, but I will not believe Dave, Dave Chappelle is, you know? Like, he, that guy has some self-awareness. That's true. Like, <laughs> like he could he was, like, on his way to just be, to being, like, Mark Twain <laughs> or Terry Southern. Like, he was just going to be, like, known as one of the great American humorists. But, yeah, long dream. It's kind of tough to have, like, what, like, drew me to, like, to me, like, I, I guess, like, this one is, like, such a direct, like, here's the concept and just watch me execute it. Like, this one is, mm-hmm. like, there are some great, there is some great imagery, but, like, all of it is really just, like, the explanation. Like, what drew me to reading it was the concept. Like, what if your dreams got longer and longer? And when I say, like, there's a lot of originality and these stories that that's what i mean it's like i it would take um you know like like in terms of like american horror movies that that type of movie would never come out you know and if it did it would be like they would talk about it you know because the concept is so novel like it's just it's actually a new idea like it's like and it's so simple too it's not like it's not difficult it's pretty elegant you know Mm -hmm. it's just a simple like oh what if you just couldn't wake up from the dream and every time you dreamt it was longer you know i I don't know where that is in like western horror media but i don't know it's very creative that's i i guess all i'm saying (laughs) 
Yeah, like that's what's cool about like I got some I got like a work of thoughts here. That's what's really cool about um like manga is that I guess comics, but like comics are usually look more like American comics are usually more collaborative. Like a manga that's just it's usually like one person's crazy vision that they can just like right. explore like to the limits of their ability to draw and for in which in Jujito's cases you know a preternatural ability like he's so good at like coming up with a crazy idea and then like figuring out what it would look like oh oh as a side thing we can go back to the first thing um uh Stephen King has a story that's similar really uh <laughs> well at least like in in terms of just like following a weird idea is the novel thinner like <laughs> there's this guy who like yeah picks, pisses off this like old magical woman who just says thinner at him and then like no matter what he does he just gets thinner and thinner and thinner and he's gonna die of being too thin <laughs> till he's gonna die of being too thin damn lucky him no <laughs> I guess I, I haven't read it, but that seems like it's a, just a straight concept. I mostly know about it from, uh, I think it was um, Patton Oswalt was talking about this novel one time. Um, the, there's this scene where, uh, this is third hand, right? I don't even, I'm not even sure if it was Patton Oswalt, but there's a scene where he's desperate to like not die. And he gets his hands on, like, a bag of oranges. And he's just sitting in his car, like, eating a bunch of oranges. <laughs> and um, Stephen King, like, cuts away from him to, like, a child's perspective that just happens to look into that car. And that created a scarring memory for that child where he would, like, be afraid to sleep at night thinking about the orange man. I don't understand what's so frightening about a man who likes his citrus. At this point, he's, like, gaunt, I guess. He's, like, skeletal. And really getting into those citruses. Seems like cheesy bread would be the... I mean, look, you can eat all the oranges in the world. You're not going to put on any weight. (laughs) Yeah, it's not very efficient. It was what he had. I don't know. Take it up with Steven. Come on, Steve. Cost benefit. He'd be be better off with something more calorie intensive. Oh, I mean, you can get get a pizza for five bucks from the Little Caesars, you know? Shit ton of beer. But... Steven chose oranges. Right. But I, I guess there is um it's, it's a loose connection. Um but I guess there is like the like I think it's 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 fun to start with that woman being traumatized by the man. Mm-hmm. Like it's so interesting how like the horror that she experiences and the horror that he's going through like intersect like, they affect each other, but they have no idea, like, about each other's plight at all. Like, I don't know, like, I think it's interesting, like, the, like, I don't know, like, the child, like, just being scared. Like, imagine if Stephen King, instead of writing Thinner, wrote The Orange Man. And it's about a little kid who's being haunted by a skinny guy that eats a lot of oranges. <laughs> there's, another, there's another angle of this story that's just, like, the woman that's being um, stalked by this crazy, creepy, old-looking alien guy right yeah i I think the the play of of these frame of references is i i I agree it's uh it's compelling to see play out Mm -hmm. 
it's at least as an opportunity to to show things in in uh scary ways and ways you don't expect like the fact that he looks scary is aided by the confusion that the woman feels when he just shows up at her room like <laughs> and all, all her own fears of grim reaper showing up and that also helps too just because if it was just some random woman you'd get the idea of it being scared but you also but you're primed with also like what her experience of the world is too it's just like a little bit to like make her feel like she's not just like a prop for you know receptacle for like the fear that he induces but someone who's actively bringing fear to the situation yeah i guess it makes the reader feel more uh omniscient as well yeah, which helps. I guess, like, because you have the doctor's perspective, and, like, the, the the detached doctor who's just scientific about everything, then is, like, another aspect of it. Because that perspective where you see, you understand everything that's going on. Like, the doctor understands everything that's going on. And he finds a way to bring those stories together, to bring the A plot and the B plot together. And maybe an awful way, question mark. Yeah, there's something, certainly not an ethical way. She She looks happy. Transformate. I, I thought I saw a smile in, in her uh, metamorphosis. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I was gonna say I've got no problem with it. Oh. I mean, <laughs> affirmative consent is so important, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's important, right? It just wants to sleep, and yeah, forever. That's such an interesting thing. The idea that you could experience that the only your best bet of experiencing immortality is in one very long night. I mean, would. Would you all say yes to that, or... Ooh. Um, Do I get to be a cisgender woman in my dream? Yeah, of course, it's your dream. <laughs> then, yeah. Dreams dreams sometimes have more control over you than you over them. Well, hey, I asked the question and Corbin provided the answer. Based on the answer provided by yeah. Corbin, then yeah. In this... <laughs> with this information... Yeah, I mean, if you're a very lucid dreamer... You always have control. Well, lucid dreams have only ever backfired on. Yeah, me. I was gonna say I don't really, I don't really have those, Corbin. I've never, I've never tried. I guess with infinity time, you got time to master it potentially. That's true. I, mean, I kind of like that idea. I, I don't necessarily have fear of death, but the idea of perceiving infinity sounds kind of neat. Yeah, that is. Uh, there is an allure. If, to well, there. I'll tell you, if you don't have a fear of death and you want to perceive infinity. You know what? You might try. <laughs> oh, I was gonna say literal. See you next time. <laughs> Jacob too. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm an evangelist about this stuff. Right. <laughs> so good. You guys. Yeah, spreading the good word, the brown word. <laughs> I uh. I forgot the forgot the word for it, and Roberto kind of touched on it. But I mean, it does a really, really good job of showing the crisis of having this singular viewpoint from a singular perspective from a single point of time. Wait, how do you mean? But ultimately, there there's shitty implications for. Um, Are you talking? Are you talking about solipsism? Kind of, or, or just just the concept of being a microcosm, like even if it's not solipsistic, like it's 
there's implications to you only ever being you at one point in time and one point of history ever uh, okay, when there's so much else going on. Oh, so it's like you're talking about like the um the approach to like heightening like the different terrors, like the different horrors by like having like the different characters' perspectives be like so like uh like uh exclusive to each other. Yes, because I I mean not not even this one too, but also in like again Itsu or or fashion model like that this seems to be. Maybe one of the unifying mm-hmm. concepts. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, like one of the scary, like that, um, the gap between your experience and someone else's is like one of the scariest things for me. Like maybe, like I'm almost like kind of like a, I guess it's like the, um, uh, one of the problem of our times. Like I'm not saying it's like something about me, I guess, but like personally, I experience like, like social anxiety, and so like worrying about what, you know, what's in someone else's brain like does provide a lot of stress and for horror it's always great when you're not fully aware of like the intentions of the ghoulie or like whatever is in front yeah y- y- like certainly like, or you going to encounter a, a you know a wild animal or anything like do they want to eat me or <laughs> can we be friends i mean for example even even my fear of of heights and going close to ledges, maybe that's rooted in ultimately this this fear of I'm I'm not sure what I'm gonna do <laughs> once I I get to that point. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah, you're even like um a spectator to your own reality. There's a interpersonality to it. Like I think that kind of gets like what's so cool about making a horror story about dreams is that like when you go to bed you're kind of relinquishing control to your subconscious, unconscious. Like, he, like this guy, like, can't not have long dreams. And it seems he doesn't have, like, the lucid dream power where he has to have the dream where he's... What is it? <laughs> like, you just guys like, imagine you have a dream that you have to go to the bathroom for six months. <laughs> Honestly, that sounds horrible. Like, that is a horror story. <laughs> It's brilliant. All from a simple point, too, of, oh, what if you dreamed really long? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, like, that really makes it, because at least, like, with a dream, you get the benefit of, like, I'll wake up soon. You know, I know that f- dreams can feel like forever. You can hit snooze, you know, um, spend a week um, as a prisoner in a chain gang and then wake up and it's five minutes later. Like, I know that's, like, part of, you know, what what we know to be common in dreams, but the way he describes them being, like, longness being, like, a defining aspect of them. Like, you are, I hate that he used prisoner as an example before, but, like, you are, like, stuck in these situations. I'm, I'm, like, I'm reading this, like, we talk a lot about his art. I'm just, like, I'm just, like, looking at this prose. Like, this is actually pretty neat. Um... I need you to understand this, Mr. Mukoda, is, your long dreams are just an illusion. In reality, they last only an instant. There's nothing to fear. You're only saying that because you've never dreamed as I have, Doctor. You've never felt how lonely they are, how filthy. How lonely and how terrifying to behold. Last night I was trapped as a soldier in the jungle, constantly on the run from the enemy. Ten long years, Doctor, so very long. 
The night before, I was stuck cramming for tests. Nine years of endless exams and all-nighters. Oh, how about eight years of searching for a toilet that doesn't exist? How do you think that feels? <laughs> like, that was a bit that really, like, grabbed me in terms of, like, how, like, the, the hold that dreams can have over you. The prose is really, really effective. On top of the art. Mm. Yeah, like, that is, a, like, an effective description. Like, I'm sure, like, this could be... It would lose something by not by being by being a short story instead of a comic, but like it would work, especially because it's so reliant on just the concept. Like the idea of it is strong enough. So it would def- definitely be lost from seeing that transformation, that metamorphosis from person to dust to crystal. Oh yeah. Plus, like that final form that he takes before he's before he's dust, like when he looks like a. I don't know, like a melted lollipop. Or I... <laughs> I wonder if that's what will evolve to. You might not like it, but this was the ideal. <laughs> this is our file form. Yeah, we'll have transcended the need to exist, and we'll be only we'll live only in the dream world. Yeah, okay, so I guess like one last thing before we like. Does anyone have have any other final thoughts on long dream? Um, if you were gonna dream for ten years, what would you want to dream about? Pleasant evenings. <laughs> Perhaps a book club. Um, um, I I backed off the ledge. I almost did a jump. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you know, good drink, good Jenkin will have you dreaming for twenty years a night. The good thing about Jenkin is that you can dream for twenty years, and in that dream, you can do more Jenkin, <laughs> and then you can sort of continue down the staircase like that. That's right. Yeah, if you, if you thread it right, you have to have you have to do a lot of meditation. You have to have like a lot of mental resiliency. It's inception rules essentially. There's some astral projection into there. Yeah, like you'll end up ascending. Oh, yeah. That's how. That's where actually. That's where DMT monsters come from. I have heard that. What do you mean monsters? What? <laughs> I okay. I haven't seen any. I've just seen this in like YouTube thumbnails, but. Like you know how like back rooms became like like a like a lore machine for people to be like level five of the back rooms and you encounter this monster. Yeah, I I did know that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But like they've come up with like here are the different DMT creatures you can encounter on your the machine elves. I never think the other you're like (laughs) this is natural after SCP. Like this is just what was bound to happen. Yeah, it's the um, the Wikipediaification of, of everything. Yeah, of reality. Of reality. Yeah, yeah. I do think that um, I I get where it's coming from. I appreciate people being excited about it, but I do think it does like impoverish a little bit the the kind of like imagination world that you're playing in when you do that right. stuff. That's funny. Like, well, like one bow. I want to like one thing. I want to say about these stories is that, like, I guess like any story, and like I know, like we do a lot of like the weird um, horror on this podcast. Like, the spaces for ambiguity. Like, I think like Long Dream goes so far because it, with all the stuff that it gets to explain being so potent by itself, but you're still left with like. Okay, so in the end, like, he 
dissolves into these crystals that can induce the same condition. But like where why did they start for him in the first place? Right. Like and all the questions still aren't answered. Well, I think um generally my experience with horror and this is something you can sort of really get into the down and dirty with when you read some Lovecraft, is that you need to leave some of it unknown in order for there to still be some horror in it, you know? Which is why, like, if you read some of the Lovecraft stories where he really plays into, like, his tendencies of, like, over-explaining, you know? All of the mm-hmm. horror gets beaten out of it by the end. Like, the <laughs> yeah. unknown aspect that he uh, will refer to as the... You know, you know, very bombastically, you know, is essentially been beaten out of it by the very bombastic words that he uses. You don't really have that problem with Ito. I mean, there's still the there's still the mystery at the end of each story. Yeah, it helps that they're they they are kept short, and that they have to be like because they're comics. They have like you can do exposition, but they have to ultimately like exist and like in some kind of dramatized form. Right, right. In almost every occasion, it seems better to show. And not tell. Yeah, and there he has um he has the benefit of being a a drawer. <laughs> Absolutely. I love like I, I, I saw Long Dream as just a great like, opportunity for him to like draw this different stuff. Like he does draw like this like the way people draw like Lovecraft world when he's first describing nightmares, just to eat these kind of like blown up microscopic shapes, like eyes and teeth and stuff. Right. Um, I love the one where he's like looking up at like machinery where there are these faces just like among the tubes. That was really cool. Geigery. Geigery, yeah. Um maybe a bit of am, maybe a little bit of I have no oh, mouth. Yeah, yeah. Like if we find like if we find some horror that captures that cold, otherworldly, I don't know, mechanical aesthetic. I guess Mad God touched on it every once in a while. Um, yeah, but we should we should be on the lookout for for this kind of sci-fi horror. Right. Maybe war stories. I don't think we've done a war story I yet. I think we were gonna we were gonna do the Iron Man at some point, right? That's right. Yeah, I'm still paying for Shutter. I gotta I gotta look out. But yeah, yeah, we <laughs> we got some stuff. Right. We got some stuff cooking. Yeah, in fact, maybe we should mention some of that stuff for for future. Yeah. Yeah. So like. Um. Th- yeah. So, like, any last thoughts on Junji Ito, Long Dream, Fashion Model, Human Chair? I think I'm good. I'm always curious. Like, the thing, like, his art is so strong, and he is a good storyteller. That I'm always curious how he, you know, what he would do with any concept. Like what you're saying. Like he looked at his tongue and thought it looked like a slug, and he built a story off of that. <laughs> like, like, I would only trust Junji Ito because even if it's as goofy as that potentially sounds, like, that's still probably, like, a fun read. Yeah. I bet he has a ton of sticky notes. <laughs> Just walking around, comes up with an idea, and then sticks it on his, his dashboard or something. Yeah, like, he steps on some gum, and he's like, there's something to this. But for now, yeah, I think, um... Uh, yeah, I think we did... We're closing off from Ito here. Yeah, so that was, uh, I hope you enjoyed this uh, this pleasant evening's book club. Yeah, this Junji Ito, uh, triple whammy. Hat trick. Hat trick, beautiful. That was what right. we said. 
we're in the stage of podcasts right now where it feels a little bit like speaking into a void, but addressing the void. Any um void dwellers out there, like what are your favorite Junji Ito stories? Any thoughts about what makes his stories as compelling as they are? Or if they fall flat for you, in what ways? We'd love to hear it. Email us at eveningspleasant at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, Pod Pod Podbean. You were on we're on YouTube. Yeah, I would love to hear your thoughts. Tell us how we fucked up. Yes, please. Most mostly that. That's what we'll be paying most attention to anyways. That's human nature, I think. <laughs> like, I got a bad review and it got me thinking. <laughs> Uh, join us next episode where we'll be discussing Robert Aikman I'm hoping uh, there's some someone's doing a backflip over that Uh, we're going to do a Robert Aikman story uh, Into the Wood from his The Wine Dark Sea collection Uh, keep on the lookout we are we are planning we're still planning on doing the House of Leaves episode that should be coming around soon be patient with us on that one yeah yeah Yeah, we want to get this one right uh be on the lookout i'm sure we'll be you know halloween's around the corner too just given our trajectory we're we're probably going to want to honor that um but whatever happens uh yeah join us in two weeks for robert aikman this is uh roberto speaking uh joined by uh hannah hey signing off and corvin goodbye have a pleasant evening thanks for listening pleasant evening. all right that's all right that's, that's